0: Hello and welcome to Sean White's solar and energy storage podcast. This podcast we have Jeff Farrell and Jeff Farrell is from Sonic. Hey Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning and uh, yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, thanks so much. And one more thing, too, is if anybody out there wants to learn more about solar and storage, you can go to solarsean.com and find out everything you want to know. Or you can go to the Sonnen website,
1: and that is... Yeah, Zonin is uh, S-O-N-N-E-N-U-S-A dot com. Great. And let's have you
0: introduce yourself, because you're probably better at that than I am. You can kind of give your background and things like that
1: absolutely yeah yeah again happy to be here thanks for having us sean my name is jeff farrell i am senior vice president of our virtual power plant and project business for the u.s company zonan inc as well as global lead for our commercial industrial project business so a couple hats that i wear leading both our u.s business as well as some global aspects which is a whole lot of fun i've been with zonan usa for about three and a half years now a little over three and a half years I came from the built environment. So prior to this, I was actually a zoning customer. I worked as a chief technology officer for a small home builder in Arizona called Mandalay Homes. We were building highly energy efficient, healthy, durable, sustainable housing that incorporated solar and zoning energy storage in every home we built. So we gave. Zona, one of the early specifications for batteries in a master plan community as part of a overall energy efficiency initiative in those homes in partnership with a rate structure that Arizona Public Service was offering. And then about three and a half years ago, I had the opportunity to take that show on the road, I guess you could say. spread that word a little bit wider by joining the Zonin team at the time form the project business to complement our healthy channel business and really help develop that whole project, I've got a community, I've got a initiative, utility comes and says, I've got an initiative that we need to do this, that, or the other thing. I have no idea where to start. And that really was what my team was designed to do, uh, was to be able to come in and say, well, we can help you start somewhere. Let's have a conversation and see where you'd like to go, and then bring the resources to help them take a project from completely lost ideation all the way through to operation.
0: That's awesome. And just a little background, too, for the people out there, is that I already had a Zonin podcast with Greg Smith, who used to work there. He's also a friend of mine. He also wrote a solar book. And that was three years ago. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. And Greg is a good guy. And we actually went on for a long time just because he's a friend of mine. And we were just kind of shooting it. And I actually broke it into four different podcasts which is not something that I typically do, but we were just having so much fun, thought I would let everybody get in on that. So just to kind of start off with, I noticed that you pronounce it zonen, and so it sort of sounds like zone, like the end zone or something like that, and I guess that might be the German pronunciation?
1: Yeah, yeah. We had a spirited debate a couple of months ago about really what the pronunciation supposed to be. So I'm trying to adapt a little bit. It's still a little weird for me. So Sonen is totally acceptable in the US. It's got a little more of a zzz to it in the German. But either way, it doesn't translate exactly, but it is kind of the plural of sons in German.
0: Oh, okay. I like having multiple sons in case one goes out. That's always a good thing to have. That's good when you have that going on. Yep. And then I also noticed that you always make it lowercase for the S.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess some marketing person somewhere thought that was fancy. It's fun. Yeah. That's so (laughs) fancy. I'm so impressed. I'm going to start doing that with my name. You can call me lowercase Sean. It's definitely a learning experience when you're writing documents, especially when they start Uh with the word Sonin, because you have to go back and Break the auto capitalize every time you do it.
0: Uh-huh. Well, that's pretty neat. Yeah, and it does sound sort of like sun. I always thought that that was in there.
1: Yeah. So I kind of have
0: a lot of different topics we can talk about and we can just see where that takes us and so one of the things is that I know that what you're kind of famous for is the virtual power plant the VPP and I think that's super super exciting and I know that when I was talking to Greg three years ago he was talking about doing it I think it was in Utah the Sole Loft something like that and Mm -hmm. is that still happening are you going a lot further than that since then because it's been a while and then what's going on around the world with the virtual power plants.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Greg teed us up well. So thanks, Greg, if you're listening to this. Appreciate you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, We'd like to think ourselves famous for originating the virtual power plant as well. It has been a fixture of the, the Zonen brand for, gosh, over eight years now. Really started in Germany where the energy market was a little more advanced than we see here in the US. Definitely the European German market is leading the way with renewable penetration how that's handled on the grid and really kind of optimizing multiple generation sources and optimizing that to help stabilize utility bills help stabilize the grid from variable intermittent silly things that happen when we do these really great things like solar and wind and biogas and just a great model that works really well for us in germany in 2017 brought that over to the U.S. The U.S. company has been around since 2016, but started bringing the virtual power plant to the U.S. in 2017, and that all really kind of took off with Soleilofts. So Soleilofts is a 600-unit, 100% electric, multifamily community in Harriman, Utah, south of Salt Lake City, part of the Rocky Mountain Power Grid. And what that project was or is Is the beginning of what is now known as Wattsmart. So Rocky Mountain Power joins me, I think, in the dislike of the word pilot. You know, pilot kind of it's got a little bit of a connotation, you know, in the industry these days. Rocky Mountain Power didn't exactly want to do a pilot, and they said, look, if we're gonna test this, let's test it in such a way that we can see some real results, so we can see some real Effectiveness out of a swarm of solar, a swarm of batteries being intelligently controlled in a virtual power plant. So I said, let's do solar six hundred units. It is six hundred and twenty-five batteries in total, providing a little over twelve megawatts of dispatchable power and harnessing a bunch of solar on that site. So really smartening up that solar, providing Rocky Mountain Power with direct access to those resources, so they can. Choose what they want to do with that solar, choose what they want to do with that stored energy, including net injections to help with voltage and frequency regulation, all kinds of products that they're doing with that. But Solar was is really the beginning of it. We are done building that project. It is fully operationalized, being operated and steered every day of the week. Like I alluded to a a moment ago, that was the start of what is now WattSmart. So they have a territory-wide program called WattSmart. It is open to every customer in their territory that wants to install a battery and then connect that battery to Rocky Mountain Power's virtual power plant software to be steered, controlled, and to lend that energy to the stabilization and harmonization of their electrical grid.
0: That's pretty awesome. It must take a lot of smart attorneys and engineers to figure out how to draw up a contract for a virtual power plant and how to know when to push the electrons this way and that way and make it last for a long time. How does that
1: work? So, yeah, certainly regulation. You know, regulation is first both, you know, you know, at the FERC level, as well as being aligned with state regulators, the State Utility Commission, and the goals of a particular utility. So, you know, speaking of Rocky Mountain Power specifically, they have amongst the country's most aggressive goals, really beautiful goals, to decarbonize their grid and decarbonize their profile They're doing a phenomenal job. I don't know the exact number, so I won't spit out a number, but they have a really decent percentage of renewable-based energy on the grid already. A lot of that's coming from hydro, grid-tied solar, grid-tied wind, doing a really, really great job with that. And what they're looking for was a way to involve their customers in that future to say, look, we're doing really great things for you. Utonians. I don't know if Utonian is the right word, but I'll say Utonians. <laughs> A little bit of Idaho, Wyoming, some other territories that Rocky Mountain powers in. Yeah. You mean like Utah and things like that? Is that what you Yeah, mean? exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Utah, great. Utah natives. So okay. I'm in Southern California, we're Californians, so I maybe I made up. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. maybe, we'll see. We'll yeah, see and I actually happen though. to be in the Rocky
0: Mountains right now at the ACES Solar Conference, American Solar Energy Society, so shout out to
1: them. Absolutely, beautiful part of the country, I wish I was there at the yeah. conference myself. So, yeah. <laughs> next year. Next year, next year, absolutely. Uh, well, but next really year it's going to gonna... be
0: in D.C., I guess, so.
1: Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, if it's a little earlier in the year, we can catch the cherry blossoms, but, you know, yeah, beautiful town. Yeah, actually, I think it might be, so I don't know. We'll see. Okay, check out the website. But yeah, but Rocky Mountain Power was really looking for opportunities to involve their ratepayers in solutions for the future to help keep the grid reliable, to embrace renewable energy, and to keep rates low, of course. Those are their big things that they've really communicated to us kind of as a partner and know, uh, provider of the virtual power plant software layer. And of course, some hardware. They embrace other hardware as well, but it's our software layer that's really running their system, which they call the DBGMS, Delta, Bravo, Gamma, Mike Sierra, <laughs> the Distributed uh-huh. Grid Battery Management System. Because it's a utility, they love their big acronyms. <laughs> so that's what they call it, the DBGMS. DBGMS. DBGMS, a new acronym for us, Sean, as if we don't have enough in this industry already, right?
0: Well, at least one with that's that long, somebody else isn't using it for something else, probably. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly. Good point. Good point. But you're right. To your earlier question, the DBGMS, really, the goal of that system was to say, we want really robust control, swarm control of energy storage systems specifically. So that system does not handle their thermostat program. It does not handle their other programs like pool pumps or irrigation pumps. It is specific for energy storage systems behind the meter. That's both residential and commercial. So they could do these really complex things around scheduling, around receiving signals from their planning department, and to be able to dispatch energy storage systems directly to use them like they would a peaking plant or you know another large resource that's a spin or non-spinning type resource that they would call on that's traditionally fossil fuel based
0: yeah last night at the conference i heard a term that i liked it was by a guy peter green who's a genius over at nrel and he called it an inverter based grid i think is a term that he used and, yeah, and so we're seeing all these spinning things kind of spinning down a little bit. And then we're getting all the inverters out there using electronics to make the grid. And that's just gonna be pretty much required And there's just a lot of evolution and adaption. And I think that the virtual power plant is something in its early stages, and it's kind of even hard to define right now. Like it includes batteries, we know that. Does it include load control? Does it include bi-directional electric vehicles, PV systems? Probably eventually all that stuff. And then we have that real fancy acronym of AI that I think you know (laughs) gonna be in there at least. And then how does it work, you know, like based on from the utilities point of view, from the person that? it's sort of like the operator of it, like zone-in. And then also from the point of view from the customer, like what happens is if it's a heat wave or something like that and the grid's having trouble, do you get a check in the mail?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And I think that's evolving how that's going. But you would probably know more about that than I would because you get to see it from your perspective. And I remember too when I was talking to Greg, he was even saying that the Zone in virtual power plant could also work with other brands of inverters like all your competitors.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I'll try to tackle all that. Yeah. Greg, another great point from Greg. I think the reality, from my perspective, the reality of it is if we want to embrace, real energy transition. If we're serious about saying solar is part of our future, wind is part of our future, hydro is part of our future, these renewable-based generation sources are part of our future, and we're serious about decarbonizing energy generation in general, it's an all boats rise kind of proposition. There's no single manufacturer on the planet that has the resources or money to make enough inverters or batteries fast enough for us to achieve the goals that we want to achieve as a society. So it really does have to be a solution where you say, if you've got great technology, if you've got a great inverter that reacts quickly, that's reliable, dependable, robust, and that is coupled with energy, with battery, you know, battery modules that are safe, reliable, robust, durable. We've really got something there. And then to be able to swarm control multiple of those. I think one of the obstacles we run into as an industry is that no utility or grid operator or, you know, the Kaiso or ERCOT. I think it's unreasonable to say that they have the resources or the impetus to want to control 50 different VPP platforms. It's just not going to work. That adds a level of burden that would drive energy costs up and add complexity up to the level that it just isn't feasible. So we as an industry need to continue to work together to figure out how do we really want to go to market? Who's got a solution that really works well for the grid operators, for the markets and the ISOs within the United States? that we can come together and operate really great hardware, operate really great software platforms and derive real solutions from it, whether that's harnessing grid power or local rooftop solar or wind or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, one way that I kind of look at it too is it just kind of seems natural that, I mean, if you look at it, it's like one person with a 10 kilowatt hour battery on their house, They're not going to go negotiate with the ISO and say, okay, I'm going to send you some power now at exactly this second and do it within a millisecond and coordinate it all themselves. That can't happen. But if you coordinate together thousands of batteries, and then it's sort of like the virtual power plant provider, I guess you could call it, would be the one that would negotiate with the grid on your behalf in order to sell to the grid. That just kind of seems like one way of looking at it. Does that sound right?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And you kind of teased a little bit earlier. So skillfully, you know, Rocky Mountain Power and the WattSmart program, that's one way to go about it. They are a vertically integrated model. Rocky Mountain Power, by, by rule, owns generation, owns transmission, owns distribution, owns the customer. It's a great model for that part of the country. The way that they would implement a virtual power plant, incentivize it, rebate it, and involve their customers is a very structured way that works for them. And we're very happy to be partnered with them to to provide that. Then you go to other parts of the country, like California, for example, where we have a semi-deregulated market for the vast majority of the state. Anywhere that you have PG&E, SCE, or SDG&E as your utility, it's basically deregulated and you can operate at the Kaiso level and do exactly like you said, Sean, where you say, I'd like to create for you, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, a really compelling offer that you want to put solar plus battery in your home you want to join this program and when you join this program what we're doing is we're gonna set aside a certain reservation of your battery we're gonna give you some controls on your battery so if something's really going awry or you know you think that there's a really bad storm rolling in not that we get bad weather in california or southern california anyways but you know you feel like there's bad weather you still have control but what we'd like to do those 360 days of the year where everything's perfect and the sun's shining and you're going to work going to school you don't have a care in the world we'd like to monetize your battery on your behalf. We'd like to help you optimize savings on your utility bill. And we'd like to help you earn money by bidding that battery into the market. And you don't even know what that means. You don't even know what that means. That's that's crazy. I'm not going to go into how we bid your battery in the market. You don't need to know what the market is. What I'm trying to tell you is I basically can cut you a check a couple times a year, quarterly, whatever it may be. And for doing things that your home's already doing, but what we can do is we can monetize your battery further, help you really buy down that ROI and make a lot of sense for solar plus battery, or even battery alone under some of the new rules in the Inflation Reduction Act. And that really is what we have today. So Sonnen has launched Sonnen Connect. We have Sonnen Connect in California today, coming to other parts of the country very soon, where we are actively enrolling hundreds of customers a month into that virtual power plant where we're aggregating their individual loads, bidding them into the Kaiso market, as well as doing some professional management of their system and helping them save as much money as we possibly can using AI, using some machine learning, using some algorithms to optimize the way their home charges and discharges from local solar and grid, and then bidding their battery into the market when it's advantageous for them.
0: Yeah, I was just looking through some articles, too, today, and one of the things that I noticed is it looked like there was something about electric vehicles, like bi-directional electric vehicles, that would work with zoning, and I think that pretty much that most of the energy storage in the world, probably by far, is in cars. And eventually we're just going to have bi-directional electric vehicles because it's going to have to be that way for the grid to work. And people are going to make money from their cars. And just when they're parked, I mean, it's just going to be a win-win for everyone. It's going to make the grid work. You know, it's going to make this whole thing work. And so, of course, there's not a zoning car out there. And I don't expect you guys are probably working on one, but maybe who knows. But that also kind of brings up the software versus the hardware thing. So like I'm working on a computer, I guess I'll just mention the brand name. It's a mac and it does have a hardware and a software component and it's the same company and mm-hmm. so for you i guess you're going to be working with different types of hardware with your software putting that onto and off of the grid Does that sound correct do you want to comment
1: on that that's yeah, fair couldn't agree with you more sean the grid of the future does involve vehicles in a bi-directional communication for sure you know whether that's bi-directional Energy movements. I I think we're in some of the early days of that. I think that's to be determined. I think there's a lot of question around the how a car battery's longevity is affected when you use it in a household versus using it as a car. They're two very different use cases. But yeah, going to your comment about the press article you saw in germany we do have our zone and charger in in the german region of the country and what we're actively doing first that i know of actively doing this with multiple manufacturers cars out there is we are able to communicate with the car and we're able to use that car battery and use that function of charging the car as a frequency mechanism in the german market so we actually can make money by regulating the way we charge the charge in electric vehicle and do that in such a way that it benefits the German grid and monetizes. Where I believe that's going to evolve, again, I I totally agree with you, where I believe that's going to evolve eventually, is that when car manufacturers really do get comfortable with the technology of their battery modules, the rate of discharge and the rate of charge, and how they can allow those movements of energy back and forth, I think you do see a true vehicle-to-grid scenario where a car could be more of an asset. I think the question that we all ask, you know, as a society is, does that landscape look like car plus a stationary battery? Because one of the scenarios that I run into a lot as an electric car owner myself is, am I comfortable not knowing the state of charge of my car? Like if I was to lend my car to a grid event in California and they drain my car down because it made me $50, What happens if I need to go then get in my car to go do something? I mean, God forbid it's an emergency. You know, I got to go to the hospital or something, and my car has been substantially drained. Would I want some type of flexibility to say, I have an electric car, I'm willing to lend some of that, but I also have the stationary battery that's really purpose-built, purpose-installed? purpose integrated into that ecosystem to be able to do that 24 7 365 and then i've got my electric vehicle that's a backup for that that i could use in emergencies but is also available to me if i need to go run errands or i work a weird swing shift and i need my car to be available at eight o'clock in the evening so i can go to work so i think there's a lot of really cool different use cases out there where the electrified system of the future is a combination of a lot of electric cars bi-directional charging intelligent Bidirectional charging or discharging of vehicles as well as stationary energy storage systems that are purpose-built and installed for those purposes as well.
0: Yeah, the one way that I kind of see it, you know, with the bi-directional electric vehicle is probably you'll be like have an app or something like that and say, oh, I'm going to leave tomorrow morning at this time. I need my battery at 80%. Yeah. Uh, no matter what. And so that's going to be guaranteed to happen. And a lot of times too, like you mentioned the frequency regulation. And so just for the people out there that don't know what frequency regulation is, a lot of times people think of energy storage is like you put it into the battery and then it's like hours worth of energy and then you take it out later. And so you're cycling your battery up and down. And so we might call that time shifting or something like that. And that's pretty common. That frequency regulation is just, if the grid slows down, you inject power into it. And if it speeds up, you take power out of it. And that's something that, that can be done with a very small percentage of the battery. Sometimes it's just like one sine wave to the next. Yeah. And I know that that's for the big power plants. I'm not sure exactly, how, you know, if they can control it at this point in time with virtual power plants. And so that also leads to some of the things I was going to ask you about, like too, what are the different types of call them like ancillary services that you can offer? Would it be the same as with the big power plants? Maybe it would even be better because it's distributed all over the place. So we have a, you know, like frequency regulation. There's something else called reactive power, which is taking like current and voltage and throwing them offsetting them from each other. So they peak at different times. And reactive power supports the voltage when you're transmitting electricity over long distances. And there's a whole bunch of different things that you can do with that. And I think have to do with the grid of the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I know you're absolutely right. So pick it goes to your earlier comments, you know, an individual 20 kilowatt hour battery with a four, five, six, eight KW inverter in Susie Smith's garage. You know, that's like throwing a pebble at a freight train.
0: But or, if you have a million pebbles, that's that'll right. knock that's it off the tracks.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> and that is, from my perspective, from my personal perspective, that is what a virtual power plant is. That is virtually controlling th- tens of thousands, millions of assets that can provide both grid decongestion you know, load offset, solar time shifting, which you alluded to, grid load shift, you know, which is kind of an evolution of solar time shifting. And when you can swarm control those things, and you have highly reactive, fast reacting, durable inverters that are highly dependable through that software layer, then yes, you can offer everything that a traditional power plant does. And I'll call it out specifically with Rocky Mountain Power, one of the primary mechanisms that they love to use the WattSmart cluster for is for frequency regulation. Frequency issues happen completely randomly for every reason under the sun that you could think of. What I would say is a frequency event happens on the Rocky Mountain Power grid several times a week. You know, steadily, they're little things. It's not like oh my gosh, the grid's about to go down. So please don't think their grid is unstable. This happens everywhere. This happened. You know, mm-hmm. there are frequencies yep. all all over the place. And the primary tool that Rocky Mountain Power now uses is the Watt Smart cluster of batteries. We provide almost 14 megawatts of instantly dispatchable power to help lift the frequency when it droops a little bit using batteries in people's garages and in businesses around the Utah, Idaho and Wyoming areas.
0: And like how quickly can you react to that? And I'm assuming like, you know, it's over the internet, they have to signal it what to do through Ethernet or something like that. Yeah. And then is it like it's milliseconds, right?
1: yeah, I guess I would say, maybe for purposes of the podcast, it's seconds. You know there is full power reaction from almost three thousand individual inverters within seconds. And and what I would say is in terms of standards on the grid, you know, a spinning reserve, one of the standards for spinning for, for spinning reserves is that it means to react within thirty seconds. So we far exceed. Some of the grid standards that are used for traditional fossil fuel-based power plants to provide the exact same service.
0: Yeah, and another thing that they call that too is synthetic inertia. So you have the spinning reserves, and that's the inertia of something spinning. So you have like coal plants. You know, people are making things really hot with nuclear and coal and stuff like that, and they're spinning it. And those things, you know, they have a lot of inertia. So we make synthetic inertia with our electronic inverters and with our batteries, and which is pretty cool. And then for frequency regulation on the grid, a lot of times what they're using is essentially a jet engine. They have, you know, like natural gas, they call it, however natural that might be. And it takes a while to crank those things up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, yeah, those are your traditional peaking power resources, which is really sad to say because, you know, in the last 10 years, we've probably added, you know, nationwide, we've probably added more peaking resources to our grid than anything else. You know, it far exceeds new base load generation being built to deal with that daily cycle. California sees it really badly. I just moved recently from Arizona. We saw it really badly in Arizona. Obviously, Hawaii has some major things that they're dealing with. And we saw this in Germany. And again, this is where the virtual power plant really was birthed. You know, on the planet is from the German region where they went from this paradigm of highly incentivizing renewable energy, specifically solar, to saying, "Whoa, that worked really well. We've got a lot of solar on the grid. So much so that it's actually starting to destabilize the grid. We're seeing uh, instances where we're having to add natural gas, you know, fossil fuel-based peaking resources to deal with this thing. Because hey, I don't know if anybody realized, but the sun goes down every day, <laughs> and when the sun yeah. goes down. This beautiful resource of all this renewable generated energy goes away. Coincidentally, everyone's coming home from work, coming home from school, cooking dinner, taking showers, doing laundry. And we've got this massive swing from massive overproduction to massive demand. The only way you could react to that quick enough were with those simple cycle, you know, jet engine essentially, power plants that you had to spin up 30 minutes ahead of the curve highly inefficient, highly, you know, one of the most CO2 intensive power plant resources. And we can shift that, you know, with millions of inverter-based grid technologies. I wrote that down. I love that. Whoever you contribute Great. that, sure you yeah. make sure we get that. In the yeah, show his name. name
0: was Peter Green from Enron. Peter Green. Yeah, Thank gave you, a Peter. talk last night. Yep. Great yep. term, yep. Peter. Yeah. So if, one way of looking at it too might be like if you're sitting on a jet plane and it's just idling. You know, and then you're ready to ramp it up, but you just kind of have to leave it idling, and that would be, you know, just sitting there on standby too, wasting Absolutely. quite a bit of kerosene, which is also known as jet fuel. It smells yep. really
1: good. <laughs> well, as a pilot, I do love that smell, but uh, yeah, uh-huh. it's, uh, it's certainly not great for the environment when you really <laughs> when you really drill down to it. So I noticed you were using
0: the what did they call the phonetic alphabet. So I have a private <laughs> pilot's license <laughs> myself. So right, exactly.
1: Yeah, it's uh-huh. perfect.
0: That's awesome. Uh-huh. Sierra, Bravo, Papa, and all that kind of stuff. So, great. And so, let's see. So, we've been talking a little bit about, you know, kind of like software and all the kind of neat stuff that it can do. And so, maybe that we can talk a little bit more about the hardware. Are you still using Outback hardware inside of your equipment?
1: Yeah, some of our equipment is still Outback, converter-based, phenomenal product. One of the most robust inverters out there. Our newest generation of equipment is now using... A homegrown invented patented technology we call it the sonin inverter so it is now our our inverter that we manufacture ourselves and put in our units that's being used here in the u.s as well as australia right how long ago did that happen when you switched from outback um we started transitioning i'd probably say maybe about two years ago both are still in use and then there's a couple of other inverters that we use over in the european union still
0: Yeah, I know Outback does have a great reputation, especially amongst people, you know, living off grid. They've been around for longer than probably most any other inverter company. So I remember I was trying to get a job out in Antarctica and they were using Outback inverters there. That was quite a while ago. I I still like to get that job, but I just can't take five months off. That's the problem.
1: (laughs) I don't know that I can take the cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Well, it's just like going to Mars. And so prepare me for my Mars trip.
1: There you go. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, that's, that's on my bucket list as well.
0: yeah, Yeah. So some heavy duty inverters that you have there too. And another thing too, is like, there's all this, you know, manufacturing going on with the inflation reduction act and all that kind of stuff. Are you guys looking at that right now?
1: Oh, certainly. Yeah. I think there's always a heavy focus. I'll speak for what I know of Zonin specific. There has always been a heavy focus at Zonin around seeking out the best technologies, whether that's cell technology, module technology, inverter, and manufacturing techniques to bring the best technology we can to market at the most cost optimal price. So yeah, we're always looking at where can we source certain things from, you know, specifically around the U.S. manufacturing all the steel so all of our wall wall bracketry you know shelf brackets the casing around it that's all sourced here in the us and then we do some creative global things around bringing in inverters from our manufacturing sites and modules of course so yeah there's a big focus on that always looking for better ways to do it to stay relevant in the market and to harness all the amazing mechanisms that in this case the us government makes available to us to aid and speed the adoption of renewable energy energy storage systems specifically
0: Great. And so, another question I have is a couple of things. One of them is about the installers. Like, how does somebody you know install Sonnen batteries? Do you just buy it from a distributor? Are there special Sonnen distributors? I know there's like a certified installer program. Mm-hmm. And then, as far as just getting somebody to install it on their own wall, I saw that you can go on to the Sonnen website and just enter your name and your email address i guess what you'll do is connect somebody with an installer so how do we get more zonin batteries out there
1: (laughs) great question i love where you're going yeah 100 so our website's a great resource zoninusa.com if you click the find an installer link it will help us connect you with a local installer that has been zonin certified so we do certify installers to know our product lineup know the product families know how to come to your home give you a professional bid you know if for solar you know very important uh, as well as for zone and energy storage systems as a whole package so that we can ensure that it's a great experience we want to make sure that it's bid well that it's sourced well from distribution that it's installed well safely effectively efficiently and then connected into the grid and the internet so that it can be used for really what it's meant to be used for not just as backup but for whatever that local market may enable for that individual homeowner. We really wanna make sure that that battery is used 24 seven, 365 as much as possible because that's really how we affect energy transition and embrace renewable energy moving forward.
0: Yeah. I know in Germany that the grid got a reputation for being so stable that a lot of people don't even wire their systems for backup. You know, it'd be a couple thousand extra euro or a couple thousand extra dollars yeah. to wire the house for backup. And so they just use it for what we call self-consumption. And that means, you know, when the sun's out and you're not home, you fill up the battery. And then as you come home and you start using more than you're making, then you start using that electricity from the battery. And so do you see that in the United States? Is there Everybody doing backup because we're a bunch of preppers over here, kind of more paranoid. No, just joking. (laughs) Um, How how do you see that? Or do you have kind of a feel for how many people are using it with backup and without?
1: Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, I I think that's evolving. I would say, even as early as like maybe a year ago, the vast majority of the US market was backup number one. I'm buying a battery, backup number one. I'm shopping around looking at what that would cost because I realized that it doesn't have an ROI. You know, if you're buying a battery for backup, there's no ROI. It's peace of mind. Your ROI is safety, security, peace of mind. And if a dealer, if an installer, you know, goes out door knocks or comes out to a home because we sent them a lead, if they can demonstrate that this battery could do more, that it could do self-consumption as you alluded to, or if you're in a part of a country where you've got really aggressive time of use rate plans where you can harness time of use store solar, and avoid paying those peak and and partial peak periods, there's a really cool value proposition around that battery doing more. And I think what you're seeing, I'll be bold for a moment, what I think you're seeing in the marketplace is a lot of manufacturers realizing that if they want to be part of that landscape, that they have to change their hardware technology. You know, 10 years ago, when Zonin was coming to the U.S., People flat out called us crazy for using lithium iron phosphate as our battery technology. Like That's nuts. It's expensive. It's heavy. The energy density is lower. Why would you do that? It it makes no sense. You're never going to be cost competitive. And now today, what you see is by and large, just about every major player is either shifting to or adopting or offering lithium iron phosphate as a battery chemistry for their systems, because it is so safe. It is so durable. It is so robust, because if you are going to beat the snot out of a battery every day and say, I'm going to drain you down. I'm going to fill you up. I'm going to drain you down. I'm going to fill you up. We're going to do self-consumption. We're going to do time of use. Hey, if you're part of a VPP, we might ask you to do frequency regulation or some other crazy thing. That chemistry really needs to be there to support that type of use case and to be competitive in a landscape where we might be shifting away from backup being, you know, the leading value proposition. And I'll say this, one of the early adopters of this, not toot my own horn, but I'm kind of proud of it because I think we saw it coming. When we were installing solar and battery in Mandalay homes in in northern and central Arizona, we did not wire them for backup. APS, Arizona Public Service, has a very stable grid. They're a fantastic utility. And we just didn't see the need to necessarily provide backup to our homeowners, provide a PLP to homeowners as a default function. We optioned it. And I will tell you of the thousands of homes that we sold while I was at Mandalay Homes, that option was bought zero times.
0: Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. So zero people in Arizona, of all places, where I'd expect there to be a ton of preppers are not doing backup. So
1: (laughs) Yeah, interesting, interesting paradigm. I did not expect a 0% uptake either, but it was important to us because, you know, backup does burden the ticket price a little bit. It can, you know, a, a PLP costs money, breakers cost money, wire costs money. So if you don't need it, or if it's not important to that consumer, why not remove that from the sales proposition and save them a couple thousand dollars?
0: wow that's crazy in arizona too because i was just visiting my daughter who lives in arizona and she was a little concerned of you know what's going to happen in the future climate change and people are going to die without air conditioners and things like that and Hmm. Then they're not of all the places not to get backup. That's very interesting. You were also talking about LFP, lithium iron phosphate. That's a type of lithium ion battery. And the other big thing about that too is, you know, it takes up a tiny bit more space. It's a tiny bit heavier, but we're not putting it in a car in this case. And it does have a good application even for cars. My girlfriend got a Model 3 Tesla that has lithium iron phosphate in it. It's in cars and stuff too. But the lithium iron phosphate does not require cobalt. And cobalt is sort of a conflict mineral. They're mining it from the Congo. And a lot of people, they say that they're using child labor and stuff there. And it's just kind of hard to get. Half of the cobalt in the world is coming out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And it's just not a very stable place. And hopefully we can fix some of the social problems affiliated with cobalt too.
1: I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm personally very proud that Zonin has been cobalt-free Since its inception in 2010, just a non-starter for us, both for the social reasons as well as some of the recyclability features of it.
0: Yeah. And as lithium ion technologies get better, eventually, you know, lithium iron phosphate is going to catch up with the specific energy and the energy density of the cobalt-based batteries of, you know, however many years ago, you know, yeah. just technology gets better and better and people get more and more comfortable with it. And especially if you're putting it on your house, it's not like you have to accelerate your house or anything like that. That's uh, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then when we start winning the battle with the national fire code, the international building code to really start to draw out the differences in battery chemistries and what their relative risk level is in a stationary energy storage system, no different than a vehicle, then I think you'll really see some changes in the U.S.-built environment.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that Zoning is working with the International Residential Code, the IRC.
1: IRC, yep, IBC as well, because we're in that commercial space, and then definitely the National Fire Code.
0: Great. And speaking of that commercial space, I know you're kind of famous for the residential space. So, how is it with commercial, or like what percentage of your energy is going to residential versus commercial? And then, are you doing bigger than commercial, or eventually sometime, or what's that looking like?
1: Yeah, great question again. Yes, Zonem was founded as a residential energy storage system. So, I would say today it's a ginormous part of our portfolio. We launched a commercial battery here in the US about three years ago with some partners in utah we've got some installations in utah arizona california with that system it's called the ecolinks 100 it's a three-phase 30 kw inverter and 100 kwh of energy storage again with the iron phosphate except no substitute and we can stack them the other thing that was really cool about that that was our first offering that we could electrically stack systems and we've got Some really cool installations, a lot of really cool use cases, the clubhouse at Soli Lofts, for example. So every unit has a residential unit in it. And then they have this big, beautiful clubhouse that has pools and their gym and all the amenities you expect from a really nice apartment living community. And they wanted to continue that message of pure electrification, renewable energy-based energy storage, harnessed and utilized in harmony with the grid. So we have our commercial batteries in that clubhouse. couple office buildings. We have batteries in some commercial hangars where they're doing some mixed use with airplane hangars. So yeah, I mean, the use cases are pretty endless. I think you will see gas stations, for example, as they begin to embrace EV charging, level two and certainly level three EV charging. I think you'll see batteries start to kind of infiltrate the commercial space there where they're looking to be part of that fueling landscape and need solutions to not having to do really expensive grid upgrades so they can support a couple of fast chargers but yeah it's a really interesting space we love the commercial space at smarter e in munich back in june the german company introduced a new product that will be launching in germany in january called the flex stack so that's their commercial offering that we'll have in in germany in the short run and then we'll continue to do really cool projects with Equal links 100 here in the us
0: yeah, great. I love that conference over there in Munich. And it used to be called Intersolar, but everybody's taken solar out of their name of their conference. Just like we have RE plus instead of SPI, which people are having trouble converting the language to. And I'm Good, sure it's not, not just me. <laughs> I'm on a jury to give out awards also for that conference and so it's pretty neat I have some pretty good friends over there in Germany so you and I are both you know based out of California I guess I think you said you're in San Diego and I'm in the Bay Area and one of the things that we had in the last year that was kind of crazy they call it NIM 3 and so it's like changing the net metering so you get less money when you export and I imagine for your company that's probably a good thing and so a lot of the solar installers were saying hey it's the end of the world and they're taking away our ability to export and they're going to give us something like a third of the price for the energy when you export instead of 100 percent and so that just gets people to get batteries i know in hawaii they pretty much don't even let anybody export at all it's like zero export and i think that's where probably zonin got a big head start in using batteries in the united states and now with this net metering 3 that's going on, are you seeing a lot more battery sales in California or perhaps it hasn't started yet because everybody got their reservation in and they're still installing those systems under net metering 2?
1: <laughs> that's That's awesome. You are well connected, sir. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We are absolutely seeing an uptick in requests for information and in potential partnerships to provide solar plus battery under NIM3. So Hmm. net metering is gone in California for all intents and purposes. It is now a net billing tariff in BT, where energy exported to the grid from any source, you know, wind, solar, whatever it may be behind the meter, is credited at what would have cost the grid operators to generate a kilowatt hour from other sources. And this is nothing new. I think it's interesting that we were shocked you know, as an industry that this was coming. This certainly has played out in Europe. It's played out in Japan. It's played out in Australia. So we've seen this movie before. When you reach a certain penetration level of renewable energy, you have to transition. And again, if you're serious as a society about actual energy transition and saying, we'd like to move away from fossil fuel-based generation in the future and embrace more of this natural stuff going on the sun's going to continue to shine so why not harness that you need to look at business models that make sense net billing one way back in the day or what the vast majority of the country still has consumers are paid a one for one credit for every kilowatt hour that they export to the grid so you push one out to the grid the utility gives it back to you and i don't know of any other business model on the planet Mm -hmm where you can buy something for a dollar, sell something for a dollar, and somehow expect to stay in business. So if we're serious about energy transition, NIM3 was a natural progression and it had to happen. And it was important that it happened because it allows us as Californians to continue to be on the leading edge of renewable technology in a really well-informed way where we're embracing renewable technology and recognize that the sun comes up and the sun goes down every day, Yet our energy habits demand that we need electricity 24-7. So how do we do that? And I think NIM3 really kind of is the financial mechanism that, that enables that.
0: Yeah, and back when we had Net Metering 1, which I'm happy to be grandfathered into, we said the grid is a perfect battery. You can send a kilowatt hour there in the middle of the summer and then use it in the winter. And of course that's an incentive to get people to go solar, but as more and more people go solar and the price of solar goes down something like tenfold over a certain amount of time, you just can't afford to do that and the grid just won't work because there's got to be some place to send it. When solar was just a fraction of a percent of the grid, that would work. So I believe it is a natural progression of things. The one thing that I have on my wish list, though, for all these people that are making up these rules, is to make things happen a little bit more gradually. So it's not just this all of a sudden, all at once thing. One of the things that the California Solar Initiative did is it was a gradual step down. So it wasn't like an end of the world thing. And I remember too, when not too long ago, when the investment tax credit was fading out and it was just going to make this huge jump down and it makes it really difficult for people to do business and people to make investments years ahead of time which is required and it makes people lose their jobs because people are just going to say I have to do a bunch of layoffs because I can't be guaranteed that this is going to be the same financial incentive that we're going to have in the future. So you know it's like I know that eventually we're going to see net metering go away everywhere because we're going to be 100% renewable. I believe that's just something that's going to happen. And so I just wish that we could make things happen a little bit more gradually, a little bit more in steps instead of cliffs.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would totally agree with you. If you inadvertently destroy an industry in the process, you're working very counter your goal because if nobody wants to be a solar contractor anymore, nobody can afford to be a solar contractor anymore, or to have the skilled labor on their crews to climb on these roofs to do this really important skilled, difficult work, then you drop off a cliff and what you're aiming to solve becomes unsolvable because you have nobody to implement. So yeah, I would totally agree with you in the way we approach it.
0: Great. Okay, Jeff, is there anything else that you want to talk about or that we didn't cover?
1: No, it was it was a great discussion. Thanks, Sean. I really appreciated it. Really interesting questions. I love where you were leading your listeners and hopefully we're able to provide some insights that are valuable to folks out there and if they need any other solutions to their projects, multifamily, commercial, if you're a utility looking for solutions to help you embrace customer generation behind the meter load behind the meter generation feel free to reach out. We'd love to talk to you about your projects and show you what Zonin products, both hardware and in-homes and businesses, as well as our VPP software layers can do to help you with your goals.
0: Great. And do you
1: want to tell people where
0: they can find you or find out more about Zonen? how to spell Zonen one last time
1: so they can look it up? Absolutely. Yeah, SoninUSA.com, S-O-N-N-E-N-U-S-A.com. Fantastic website. My name is Jeff Farrell. You'll see it in the show notes. It's spelled funny. So Sean will get it in for you. I'm certainly on, gosh, how many threads, LinkedIn, Twitter. You can reach out to me, Jeff. It's Farrell, F-E-R-R-E-L-L at zonin-battery.com. If we can get that in the show notes as well, because battery spelled funny because why not (laughs) for
0: for sure all right yeah that's jeff with a g g e o f f barrel thanks a lot yeah i enjoyed talking to you so like i guess you probably go to the conferences and stuff too right
1: yeah in addition to the platforms where you can reach me or reach out to Sonin directly through our website we will be at re plus this year so really looking forward to that conference in vegas you'll find us on the show floor map i would love to meet with you Thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. To find
0: out more about solar storage and everything else under the sun, go to solar, S-E-A-N, that's solarshawn.com, and get yourself educated.